welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Ravi Janaparedi, and he is CEO and co-founder of R-Cube Health. Arcube Health is on a mission to provide affordable, effective solutions to promote good mental health and well-being. So Ravi's a healthcare entrepreneur, product leader, and ex-management consultant with significant corporate experience in telecommunications and financial services too. Now he's passionate about social enterprise, personal development, and mental health. He's a computer science engineer by background and he has an MBA from Said Business School and that's at the University of Oxford. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So Ravi, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Well, it's morning for me. I don't know about you, but... I'm doing very well. Thanks, sir. Excellent, excellent. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Ravi? I'm speaking from Reading. That's where I live. Ah, oh, very nice. Not too far away from me at all. Um, cool. So Ravi, uh, the way we start these podcasts is we get... To, to learn about you and it'd be great to hear a bit about your background a bit about your story a bit about what makes you who you are now and what you're up to with Arcube. so by all means sir uh, give us the long version tell us a bit of your story yeah really happy to share so my name is Ravi Janapuredi I'm co-founder CEO of Arcube Health we're an early stage digital mental health startup we're based in Oxford and uh, we've been running for uh, almost two and a half years now, yeah. And I started building business in mental health because uh, of um, two things. One, uh, my personal experience with poor mental health when I was um, working as a management consultant uh, in my previous life. <laughs> and um, <laughs> because um, I, I've also suffered a burnout. Um, not just because I was working mm-hmm. long hours, but also because I saw a disconnect between what I was doing in life and my perceived higher purpose. So uh, that was in mm-hmm. 2012. And uh, after that, quickly, uh, I left my uh, consulting job, uh, went back home to India and started building impact businesses. And that was, and then since then, I've been really wanting to um, do something really impactful in mental health and finally in 2017 I had the chance to join Zinc VC in London who were also um, um, looking for uh, mission-led founders to build solutions for good mental health especially women and girls and that's when I joined them and since then I've been working in mental health in various capacities as an advocate um, and an entrepreneur good for you and seemingly much more connected to your purpose as well which sounds great i want to go back to your to your initial background what led you into management consultancy in the first place i was in germany at that time james i was um i went to germany in 2002 uh, studied there uh, lived there and started working uh, initially as a product consultant for uh, big German companies, especially looking at data and data analytics. And um, when I started management consulting, that was the uh, next step where I worked at Deutsche Telekom uh, and I was working essentially on data Mm. quality, data governance, everything around data, trying to fix problems with uh, data. And 
that was my entry into management consulting. Interesting. It's it's funny, isn't it? How I suppose, and from a careers perspective, we just sort of often close our eyes and wake up five, ten years later in something that, as you've put it, isn't connected to our purpose. And it's it's funny how that can catch up with you. And it's funny how it's then it requires quite a, an effort to change sectors. I've changed sectors myself, you know, or changed careers myself, I should say, from clinical medicine and whatever you'd call entrepreneurship, whatever you'd call it now. Um, but it's not, it's not easy to do, isn't it? It, it? it requires a wake up call often. And it sounds like you went through something like that with, with what you've described as burnout. And it's interesting to me that you said it wasn't just long hours, it was a disconnect from your purpose, which has led you now into healthcare and mental health, a very classic story of entrepreneurs in mental health particularly, but also healthcare more broadly, you know, finding this incredible motivation to solve your own problem and that of others. I suppose my question is around going through that because there'll be people listening. I know lots of people that listen, you know, from, from the feedback that we've had People love to hear about careers. They love to hear how people moved and why they moved and how they eventually got to this point of finding their purpose. But in terms of spotting the signs of something like burnout, what did you notice or what did you not notice, in fact, on the way to burning out? Why was it burnout for you rather than, I guess, a realization before that? What 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 led it to burnout? What did you miss? What would you advise others to notice? to make a change before you get to the point of burnout? Great question. And really important to know um, and spot the initial signs. And what I missed out was uh, on picking up my own symptoms and pick up my own awareness. I must say I had really limited awareness of um, mental health back then. And, um, And all which was then was my my mind was to work harder um, and grow faster in career uh, uh, in this classic uh, management consulting <laughs> and, mm. and then at some point I realized that the demands placed on me by my job right uh, were not matching with my inner resources right so there was an imbalance right and I was not addressing this imbalance balance uh, I was pushing it to the end um, mainly because of my awareness and my lack of understanding of what causes this imbalance right and then I and then when you push to the end and then you fall down a cliff because then you realize you got no more resources left at all to attack it so um, I would really encourage uh, people who are pushing their carriers to the fullest extent just to take a step back and examine their own resources and demands um, at the earliest sign, uh, at the earliest uh, time possible. It's really well put. The the difference between the demands placed on you and the resources you have, because also those resources change over time as well. I think they change based on what else you have going on in your life. It depends what hand you've been dealt in life. It depends on so many different things and i think an honest appraisal of the resources you have and an honest appraisal of the demands that are expected of you 
it's like that my mind goes to i don't know if you've seen these things you know in cartoons where there's a conveyor belt and they have to do something on the conveyor belt and it starts off absolutely fine but all of a sudden you can just see that the conveyor belt's actually moving a bit too quickly for them to keep up and then all of a sudden it's just absolute chaos and that absolute chaos is seemingly what translates into into that burnout and i think you're right and it's funny because i guess i've never really thought about it in that way but when i do it's thinking you know do i have somewhere to go to that i can just accelerate and take off that stuff on the conveyor belt do i know that i've got that am i actually ahead of myself here or am i just kidding myself that i can do all of this stuff and it is something that i guess i tend to do annually i will annually look at what happened in the year a very reflective time of year at the end of year to then think about making a change and things like that but you're right perhaps it's something that i could even do a bit more because the times throughout even this year that i've been incredibly stressed and certainly on the uh, on the precipice of something like burnout if not burnout itself but before we disappear down that rabbit hole um zinc vc uh, in london that's an organization that really is championing mental health and it's championing entrepreneurship and it's helping founders uh, or helping future founders in fact start their first companies perhaps not their first companies if they've done something before but connecting co-founders and doing incredible work across some key things and i know child and adolescent mental health is something that they've been involved in i've seen some seen some things recently on that but yeah tell me tell me about that as an experience that you went through because it you know meeting like-minded people that want to build businesses around something important like mental health it must have felt for you you know coming from something like management consultancy now into this you must have felt like you'd come home right with all these people that uh, that were like-minded like you yeah it was great experience um and it was a mixed experience as you can imagine so there were people from um, technical backgrounds, strategy backgrounds, and also impact backgrounds. And um, some were volunteers, and some were uh, professionals in, 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 on, in the healthcare sector, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, etc. So this really mixed um, set of people uh, who had the skill set match but who also had the mindset and the passion and the motivation to exchange thoughts and uh, create um, good solutions, but also lasting solutions, right? Sometimes, um, the reason I mention is some solutions are good, they seem interesting, uh, but they create short-term value instead of um, long-term, you know, um, sustainable, change or important value and we're not talking about the social media companies but you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) and we yeah and so it's it's a good place um where uh, i picked on um especially the intricacies involved in mental health at different segments and and what was society doing um, and how can we create good solutions uh, and lasting solutions to improve outcomes and to improve access so how does the how does zinc vc work then what is it what is it like practically so for people that might be interested in starting a company or or you you know using zinc vc as, as a mechanism to do that what is it like practically to go through that what actually happens when you go through that door um so every year they have a mission 
uh, and when I started the mission was to improve the mental and emotional health of women and girls and uh, after that they've had missions related to uh, aging uh, and the recent mission is on child and adults and mental health so every year they have these missions mm. and they encourage people um, to to come together and, and build solutions and when we started uh, Zinc we were put in these small teams and we were encouraged to work with each other right and uh, build solutions um, lean solutions to begin with uh, which could really translate into big businesses and impact businesses so that was one side right uh, the second side was they brought the subject matter experts um, from the UK um, from Oxford University from Wellcome Trust and other partners who would guide us on what's happening in mental health and, uh, and, and what innovations could be possible. And the third part, I think, um, was uh, how, can these be, how can these businesses um, be funded for, uh, for acceleration? So these were the, roughly the three parts. And uh, yeah, so it was, it's, I think it's a six, when we did it, it was a six month uh, to nine month program. Now I think it's a bit longer because uh, as you know, healthcare companies need a bit more time to incubate. And uh, essentially in these nine months, you start from an idea and end up uh, as an investable company. So that's the goal. That's awesome. Um, it sounds like a, yeah, a really good place to meet like-minded people to start companies. I mean, that's exactly what you need, right? And I totally agree about the six to nine month thing as well. I, mean, I remember when, when Alex and I did HS or HS Ventures, you know, we that was a pre-seed accelerator that we did for a couple of years and we had a similar ethos, you know. Um, it wasn't about a 12-week accelerator because how on earth can you do that in healthcare? The audiences that you need to reach are so complex. The challenges are so complex. The value propositions are so different to so many different people that to f be able to figure that out and to be able to actually negotiate that with what we know already about sales cycles in healthcare, you know, like it, it would have been, it's pretty futile to just be like, yeah, here's 12 weeks and a, and a seminar in starting a business. Like I'll have 7% equity. Thank you. Like, it's not, it's not completely translatable to something like, like a different sector. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, it, it definitely requires uh, a, a lot of extra help and resource. So I definitely believe in, in six to nine months and perhaps even longer. Um, but that sounds really cool. So R-Cube then is obviously the idea that you had and that you managed to build out uh, with the help of Zinc VC. So tell me tell me all about R-Cube and tell me about the idea, first of all, and, and tell me how you turned that idea into reality. So a uh, couple of years um, after I left uh, Zinc VC, I had enough, um, I had enough knowledge uh, of mental health, and then um, in uh, two thousand eighteen, uh, or the end of two thousand eighteen, I met uh, my now co-founder Peter Grunewald at Side Business School uh, in Oxford. So he teaches at the Side Business School in Oxford and I, I, I had finished my MBA there uh, in Science Business School and both of us were united uh, with a mission um, to improve the access, access for evidence-based mental health 
So as you know, um, mental health um, prevalence is high, really high. So it's almost one in four, even before COVID. And these days it seems like it's one in two. Um, so yeah, that's the prevalence. But in spite of the high prevalence, um, access, uh, the, the waiting periods are really long, especially uh, at uh, public health services. And uh, many people who need access uh, tend to be waiting for months, if not years. And that was one side. The other side, there's so many well-being apps which promise the world for you, <laughs> uh, which are very entertaining and uh, very good, but um, they lack uh, the evidence base and the seriousness with which uh, digital health and patients need to be treated. So uh, we started uh, building an app together. Uh, the app is called Resony, and um, we, we launched it uh, on the Play Store. Um, and the app contains uh, simple to use, but really effective um, interventions, such as breathing exercises, interactive CBT, uh, mindfulness exercises, and muscle relaxation to help users reduce their stress anxiety and improve their levels of sleep yeah so that's um, where we started excellent you, one of the things you mentioned is obviously the wellness space and you alluded to the fact that it's there's a, there's a lot of those and they don't have the the rigor uh, of things in you know digital health or health tech however you want to uh, i guess identify that are you referring there to? Uh, are you referring to kind of medical device regulations? Are you are you referring to regulation? Because both are applicable, right? But what what do you guys do differently? I suppose in that wellness space. So, in the wellness space, or or if we look a bit deeper into mental health, right? In the UK, mm -hmm. around seventy percent of mental health um, treatment is via evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy right but the assumption behind cbt is that that the user is receptive to behavior change and we all know that behavior yes. change is incredibly difficult right so correct when we talk to a lot of our users some of our patients we found that they were at level zero level one but on the other side cbt starts from level six so what we did was uh, we came up with this uh, interactive exercises which help bring the user from level two or level zero to level six so that then, then um, they can uh, be more receptive to cognitive behavioral therapy so we are in other words we're just enhancing cognitive behavior therapy with uh, physiological techniques that's really interesting and I, that's something that I've not really thought of before the fact that obviously yes yeah, some people are more receptive to CBT than others for example and yeah perhaps there's things that we can do and in fact there are things that we can do to make those people more receptive to CBD so do you work in partnership with the the CBT delivery uh, apps, products, things like that as well? Or do you guys build the CBT stuff 
to go alongside that kind of priming for CBT? So we also have uh, CBT techniques in our own app um, because yeah. we believe that CBT is fantastic. It, it's evidence-based, it's great, it's cheap um, to deliver, but still uh, it's not complete by any means. So uh, we are enhancing this with, with our own physiological techniques. With, uh, and essentially the goal is to look at mental health, not just from a cognitive point or from a psychological perspective, but also from a physiological perspective, which, um, which is a fast growing area right now um, of looking at mental health, both from uh, a subjective standpoint, but also from an objective standpoint. Mm. Cool. So my question now is, the, you, you've said it, there's a, lot, there's a lot of these things, right? So how do you cut through all of that stuff? And I guess in that, part of it is what structure are you using to sell it, right? Because there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of ways you can go about this stuff. There's, you, you can go B to C, you can make it available to everybody you can go B2B and make it available to a few people or a few people beyond that B2B barrier, whether you're going B2B to C, whether you're going to employers, whether you're going to insurers, whether you go to healthcare organizations and private clinic. Like, there's lots of different ways that you can go about this. And if you go B2C, you can sacrifice credibility. If you go B2B, it might be too long for enterprise sale. There's, lot, there's lots of pitfalls and difficulties in how to set up a business model here. So how do you guys do things and do you do things differently, do you think, to, to other people? Uh, great question. So we think about this every day. So uh, <laughs> <we're> <laughs> There's no one answer either, I don't think. No, honestly. there's the, the field of uh, digital therapeutics. That is uh, what we are doing mm. is evolving day by day and commercialization, uh, the business models for commercialization are still being evolved, are still evolving as we speak. Uh, not just from the entrepreneurs themselves, but also other stakeholders like um, uh, insurers, the pharma companies are all watching the space to see how these startups innovate, right? So having said that, um, if you look at the 300,000 health apps on the Play Stores, uh, less than 2% of them have any sort of clinical evidence. And uh, this is us. So we really um, want to, to take the route of uh, clinical evidence and also follow the regulatory requirements. So that's where uh, we are different at the outset. Um, we've got some real world uh, evidence uh, where we actually see the users who are improving. So we've got 70% improvement rates in well-being symptoms for uh, compliant users. Uh, these are really uh, great numbers, but um, we are planning to do uh, further clinical trials to improve our um, evidence and clinical outcomes. So this is one way we are different. The second way is uh, we have a regulatory path, just like a pharmacological drug. So, yeah. so there are uh, regulatory requirements for software as a medical device, which I'm sure you know. Uh, we're just going through class one and hopefully mm. in the next one and a half year 
we'll go towards class 2a which is um, um, a, a treatment uh, hopefully a digital yeah. treatment for a particular medical condition in mental health so that's very different. Yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna ask about this actually because there's a big difference, isn't there, for for giving advice to actually treating and you know are you a are you a support tool or are you a diagnostic? So you know there's there's big differences there and people often play safe, don't they? I think people when they're building these things they don't want to put a foot into diagnosis or treatment because it then unlocks this plethora of things that you need to do to really make that defensible. But seemingly there's also impact to be made there. And I think that's the thing. And, you know, I'm sure there's there's many phrases that I could use to, to explain this, but, you know, people often choose things because they're hard. And actually that, that is where impact can be made and that is a positive choice. And it seems like that's a choice you've made too, you know, to, to register software as a medical device, class 2A, all the rest of it. It's difficult and you can play safe. You can be like, ah, oh, well, we'll just stay on this side. We'll just be supportive. We'll just give advice. And therefore, we can stay on this side of the line. We can ap appeal to more people, B to C. We can stick it on the app stores, and then you know, if something goes wrong, it's not our fault because we said da da da. But you know, to actually to actually choose to go down that that more impactful path then opens you up to to more things on the healthcare side, of course, because you're then more easily used by clinicians and by healthcare systems and organisations and there's just a lot of regulatory stuff to do but that's why these things need capital but it's also how these things go and then make impact and so it just depends where you want to sit along that path i guess but i think what is interesting in that space is that people like yourself are choosing to become regulated they are choosing to go through these um these processes which i think is segmenting the market without any kind of need from external bodies to do so in that wellness space it's becoming very clear who does what it's becoming very clear who wants to be just a digital therapeutic and who wants to play um in the more wellness space but it's even you know even the even the wellness apps need to do this stuff now to stand out and i think that's the thing you've obviously got sights on being a full digital therapeutic uh which you're on the way to doing off you don't have to do that but even if you don't want to do that there's still value to being regulated there's still value to being um registered to whatever degree you can because consumers even if you are going b to c consumers aren't stupid like consumers are more likely these days to have a look and see who you're affiliated with what partners have you got what regulation is actually behind the consumers are willing to do that because people are questioning this stuff anyway um but yeah, it's super interesting. How did you build the app? Did, did you have a co-founder that, that helped you build this from, a, from an in-house technology perspective? Did you raise money to outsource it? How did you go about building this? Oh, we did the old school way. We bootstrapped. Um, and Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I built the app myself. Um, the content was... Oh, very nice. <laughs> so if you remember, we just... How did you build it? What did you build it in? We built it in Flutter. Uh, Flutter is the cross-platform okay. uh, operating system from Google where we could um, build Android and iOS apps using a common code base. And, um, and did you teach yourself how to use Flutter? Yes, I did. I did. And so we were yeah. just talking about switching carriers, James. Yes. And mm. this was really interesting for me because I could use my previous skills as a product consultant, as a software engineer, and brought them full circle. 
um, and then used a bit oh, of excellent. this apps, um, uh, sorry, a bit of this experience um, to code the app myself. Um, so I built around 70 to 80% of the app, um, which was a joyful experience, but also time consuming. Yeah, um, of course. But we really handcrafted the initial experience. Um, so I built the app, uh, the technical side, and my co-founder, Peter Grunewald, and he, he provided the content um, from a clinician's uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting again, you know, like actually all the weird skills that we acquire in all the weird and wonderful careers and hobbies that we have can come around and be super useful. I, I, I see I see and say this quite often. I, I do a lot of, um, I'm doing more of it anyway, talks to med students and, and even younger now, like sixth form colleges and things about like careers and how on earth you go from a doctor to a marketing company, which is where I'm at, I'm now in, in my life, you know, all of that kind of thing. But it's so interesting because all the weird and wonderful skills that I have picked up over the course of my life, you know, like even from like DJing and audio stuff as a medical student comes around to like, oh, I can just edit a podcast because that's just one way form and I can just cut and like, it's easy. The photography that I used to do, like when I was at my first accelerator, I used to, me and my nephew Ben used to go out and take photos of stuff and he would teach me about like aperture and all this sort of stuff used to love it now that comes around to to marketing when you're doing when you've got shoot days and video and we can do all of that too and it's just funny how all of these skills that you pick up in your life either through your career or indeed your hobbies can apply because i think the world is just being diversified it's more skills based it's not as i need a degree to then go and do a thing and then rise in the company like their skills are just a lot more i think valued now and you know even at somex we don't care what degree you've got or even if you've got one at all like the point is like here's what we need doing can you do it <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you've just been video editing on tiktok if you can video edit on tiktok better than you can video edit on adobe like fine you can have the job you know it, it doesn't matter but i think there's something there though about as you've said having a different career and then swapping a career or going into entrepreneurship everything that you've done before imagine you get this all the time oh look at that wasted time in management consultancy no it's not like absolutely no it's not you've learned a million different transferable skills and people say to me like me all the time oh what a wasted time you had doing all that stuff in medical school and da, da, da. no like, I, I use all of that knowledge i use all of that stuff all the hobbies that i had at the time i, I now use too you know it's 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 so it's super 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 interesting to me that stuff but but like good for you you know bootstrapping building it yourself i think really really interesting way of doing it and and a lot to be said for um not having to raise money to then go and build the thing as well yeah. because it's always a difficult position you end up in especially with investors isn't it with um you know did you build it yourself oh no i've just outsourced it well how are you going to change it how are you going to pivot it how are you going to adapt it you gonna have to keep paying every time like don't you need this expertise in-house and i think that was one of the things actually when I raised, you know, when I was doing the accelerators, you know, if if, if there, were, there had to be a technical co-founder because how on earth are you going to do it? And you're right, you know, 78, 70 to 80% of it built yourself. You know very well how to build this thing. You you know very well what to ask of somebody else in order to help you build it as well. And so it just stands you in such a strong position to, to move this forward. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, talk, talk, talk to me about that. And I guess... 
yeah from your perspective no uh, absolutely i i agree with you you know we we tend to put a lot of focus on um degrees and academic qualifications which are very important but i think we also have got wonderful transferable skills which we can move seamlessly across these careers and i just wish that um i i would have paid more attention to these other non academic skills like you know communication skills uh, which is uh, really useful yes. in in whatever you do right and resilience is another fantastic skill for how you can cope with difficult situations um and i leave out the technical skills because we know how important they are but uh, still the point is when you are building a startup you 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 need a lot of transferable skills and you could use a lot of them which you're bringing from your uh, previous career uh, or you can build them and and then that's what makes a startup so exciting because it's not that specialized technical expertise uh, or subject matter expertise which gets you through but is that ability to learn things um on the fly is ability to learn things when you're jumping off the cliff and trying to build uh, you know a parachute or or an airplane engine whatever that is and and that skills is those skills are really difficult to learn especially when you're under pressure you know there's no time and there's mm-hmm. no ears and ears mm-hmm. you have to learn them quickly and execute mm-hmm. and um i wish those skills were taught more often and there's more emphasis on such skills yeah <laughs> yeah I, i i do agree with you and i think as it pertains to entrepreneurship i i think entrepreneurship is glamorized and not everybody should be an entrepreneur i don't think entrepreneur being an entrepreneur is no, no better or worse than being anything in in health tech or anything else but i do think that in my previous careers you know i was i was in clinical medicine i was in policy for a little while i was then in you know some other stuff but particularly you know in clinical medicine and policy wow i was so distracted i was i was not, i was definitely not somebody that wanted to be the expert in left knee operations and this specific you know left knee arthroscopy <laughs> like i did not want to be like i didn't want didn't want to do the same exact thing a million times but there were people that did want to do that and they excelled and they were happy and they loved it and they had that vision of what they wanted for themselves and they became the professor and they became the academic and they did the research in that and they got the variety even beyond that right but it just wasn't me i ju- i was just so distracted by so many different things that i wanted to do and wanted to be okay at and wanted to be competent at and i was you know 80 if you think 80 20 rule i wanted to do that first easy 80% across loads of different things but sadly in those careers particularly in policy as well like there was no home for me there it was like what do you want to be good at because at the minute you're not good at anything like kind of thing and you're kind of jack of all trades master of none and actually however what since now you know being having to look after yourself and just being like well now you've not got not got a fixed income and actually now you need to just go and sort yourself out and figure out how you're going to turn this bag of nonsense that you have it that you call skills into it into a a business or something like that that's where it actually came to the fore because it was like hold on I can do all this stuff actually some of this stuff is applicable and actually quite a lot of it is applicable and why don't we build a company around these skills and so that's how it ended up developing but you're right like yeah that we don't require it no a degree and and what that says about you and all the rest of it because resilience take that one 
resilience can be built in a management consultancy company when when you know as you put it the demands versus resources equation is off that demands versus uh, resources equation could be off through your upbringing the, the hand you were dealt in life it could be through achievements that you've tried to make for yourself and had to sacrifice other things there's plenty of ways to build resilience and actually you know when we ask that in interviews we're not after you know oh i had this paper and stayed up for five nights in a row and at the same time i was trying to do these other 20 career things it's not it doesn't matter you know there's so many ways to, to assess those transferable skills and and in a lot of ways you know from a company perspective you can find a lot of diamonds in the rough you can find a lot of springs ready to uncoil and bounce very high if you know the right questions to ask and you can assess those people because if you find the people with the right knowledge the right attitude but just not the right something you can teach that something and actually then you've got stars and you've got experts and a lot of these people find their way into entrepreneurship like yourself um which is which is awesome to see um Ravi, you're obviously dealing with a lot of investors, and and you know we've talked about how, um, from a, even from a technical co-founder perspective, you know, getting investors on side, that's one thing that can get them on side. Um, whereabouts are you in in the raising journey? Because obviously you need capital to build something like you've done, um, and things like that. But yeah, whereabouts are you on that journey? So um, we are starting fundraising in just uh, one week from now. The last. Um, oh, wow. is that the, f- the, f- the first yeah. round of fundraising seed? Yes, that's the wow. uh, first round. That's uh, um, yeah. It depends. You can call it a seed round. You can call it a pre-seed round. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on yeah. yeah. Depends on where you are uh, in the world. Um, End of the day, you're raising a sum of money. There's a certain share price. There's a certain valuation, and you're on a certain trajectory. So, <laughs> whatever, whatever people want to call it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so, the last four months, uh, four to five months, have been pretty good for us. Uh, we've got um, uh, a small grant investment from Bayer Pharma, um, to as part of the nice. uh, growth track program in EU. And we're the only company from uh, European Union, including UK, to be selected for that program. So we're getting uh, support from that, uh, from, from them, fantastic support. Uh, we're also part of the Oxford Academic Health Science Network Accelerator, also called the HSNs. Nice. Um, yep. Which helps us uh, create a value proposition for the NHS. Um, we're also part of the Panacea Stars Accelerator in Oxford, starting next week. Um, where we'll get more help uh, about um, how to improve a value proposition for pharma, especially uh, considering yep. that uh, we're building digital therapeutics, um, uh, hopefully in collaboration with pharma. So we've got all these things going on. Um, uh, we've got a good team size now. We are four to five people. And uh, we want to keep this traction and we want to keep this momentum um, and we're raising around seven hundred fifty thousand uh, pounds as a first uh, yeah. investment to to last us for eighteen months. And with this uh, money, we can uh, do the uh, do the trials uh, and uh, help build our regulatory um, regulatory um, requirements um, alongside mm. um, getting some revenues. Of course, of course. It's a good amount to raise as well. I think, you know, raise what you need. You don't need to raise 
so much just for ego perspectives or anything because you end up just giving away too much your company so yeah they're expensive processes regulation trials all that stuff it definitely definitely needs the capital to get through but it sounds like you guys are well on your way it sounds like you've got a great product and do you think do you think this product would have helped you in your journey yes of course i mean the product um is a great product it's really being used uh, by a lot of people and if we keep the numbers aside what's really important for us is engagement rates and as you know yeah. uh, mental health apps really have low engagement rates people you start downloading an yeah. app it doesn't work for them and within the first five minutes they just delete the app because they're angry yeah they're angry of trying yeah. so many services which promise them the world and do not work for them right so our 30-day mm. retention rate is around 16%, one six, which is amongst the top 8% mm. mental health apps worldwide. Wow. And we wow. and we're just beginning. We just did that without any funding at all. We just did it on our own. Mm. And what I'm saying is that we can touch a lot of patients and, and help them get better with the recovery rates. Um, and this is really important, not just from our business point of view, but for also from an NHS point of view, where so many people are waiting for access. Um, and if we could only provide them access with digital therapeutics um, and reroute a section of them, then uh, we could really help the NHS um, handle the waiting lists and uh, deal with the other people. So it's high time. <laughs> I love it. Ravi, if people want to get in touch with you to learn more about what you and the Arcube team are up to, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, the best way to for them is to email me. Um, my email is ravi at rcubehealth.com. That's R-C-U-B-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Just email me and I'll be really happy to get in touch with you. Awesome. I love it, man. Sounds like you're doing very good things for the right reasons. And from a personal perspective, it sounds like you've uh, you've certainly you've made the right career moves and, and found your home. And I'm delighted for you personally. So thank you very much for coming on, Ravi. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.